Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Thank you for joining us once again. My name is Panos and we will be doing another Q&A today. And I have a question here from one of our good followers here, Sarvesh. He's a dog trainer from India and we've been back and forth on a few different things and he's an avid listener of the podcast. So thank you, brother, for listening in. We find him on Instagram called Stolen Shadow and I'll probably um, link him into our, when I put this Post up a little clip it here on um, on our Instagram. I'll tag him in so you can check out some of his work. And um, he's got a couple of questions here, and a lot of them are based on aggressive dogs that he's been working with, and he's probably a little bit stuck. Just a little caveat here that I want to put out there that always very hard to give advice specifically about aggression over the air, you know, through podcasts, through over the phone, even from doing any posts, anything like that, because it's always so unique to the dog and the individual specific case. You know, over the 10 years of running Nutris Pooches, I've dealt with a lot of aggressive dogs, and most of the time we have a lot of good success. But it is very, there's so many variables. The variables are the owner, the dog, the environment, and of course, your capability as a trainer and how you can help them. So so. I'm going to be giving some general advice here, but it's not going to be very, very specific. And I have to do be careful about aggression. The reason why is because I tell you to do something and then you go and do it, do it incorrectly, and then the dog bites somebody, bites yourself, and you know, and then the injury or, or the risk of fatality can, can to another dog or to another person is, is present. So I am a little bit tentative of, of sometimes giving some advice, but I am going to be the advice that I do is general in nature. So please just be aware of that. Um, well, the first one that he's got here, he's talking about um, a, what has he got, a German Shepherd, one of his clients, Gentle Giant. Um, however, he's a little bit sloppy when he says that he's luring him. And when he's walk, he walks like he's jiggling. Um, only two sessions in, how can he build some more drive with that? The best way to build drive when it comes to luring is being more animated. The more animated you are with with your, your luring and you can make the the... See, when it comes to food drive, if a dog doesn't have much drive for food, then they may not really take much to to um, to you making them do things when it comes to luring him. So I would say that making finding the most highest value food or even better, making all of the dog's food that he earns in life come from the pouch and that existential reward system can be really good because, of course, everyone needs to eat and if we can find a way to tap into that food drive to make it a little bit more higher value then that can be really really good um but also when it comes to luring you know you got to make if the dog has some natural prey drive if the dog likes to chase a ball and some dogs may not be excuse that noise in the background it's a rubbish truck taking our rubbish away so um so when it comes to luring make it a big fun game make sure that the dog understands what the marker is so he understands what he's getting rewarded for and just be really animated and lots of movement if we're just moving our hands only maybe that's not engaging enough for the dog so 
you know, um, lots of praise and make sure that the dog is being rewarded for its maximum power um, towards your, your food lure. Making sure that when you are luring that the dogs, that you're focusing on the dog pushing into your hand rather than it just merely following your hand. So I guess that could be um, a little tip there in terms of encouraging luring to be a little bit more dynamic. Again, all of these Q&As, very, very hard to give specific answers because I cannot see the dog. Um, there's no video attached to these questions, so um, there's, there's so much to it. Maybe as well, you know, I'm just thinking if he, if he says that he's, the dog's jiggling when he's walking or he's walking a little bit sloppy. I don't know. Is, is there any other issues happening? Has he got back issues? Has he got any other physical limitations? Is the floor that he's walking on um, like slippery and he doesn't want to run too fast, maybe doing it on the grass or on, on harder concrete rather than tiles and floorboards? These can be other things to consider as well. So always look at the dog. Always look at what sort of motivation you have. If you're doing it with boring dry kibble, maybe doing it with hot dogs or with cheese or with chicken or something else that the dog's really, really into. Number two, case study, he says, 11-month-old German Shepherd has bitten four, fam- four bites of family members, no deep but long bites. Again, I think there's a little bit of a language translation barrier here as well. So some of the things that I'm reading him. I have to try to adapt myself. Bites have a minimal reasons. Once the owner opened the door and he was sleeping, they did nothing new and the dog bit them. Family was cleaning the room, disinfected spray. Maybe the dog doesn't like the smell, but he bit. Also reactive towards strangers on the leash. He lunges and stands on two legs. So what my plans are to stop the dog is a staple diet of chicken and rice and shift to kibbles. Because obviously the dog's not only getting, by the sounds of it, only getting chicken and rice as a, as a diet, so you need to fix that diet up. Um, and get the dog to understand that if he only gets food for when he works. And then go outdoors. He says take off muzzle and just counter condition. I don't know, if the dog's biting people, maybe the muzzle should stay on. Make sure that you've got a muzzle that the dog can eat from. Um, basketball muzzle, a lot of wiry basket muzzles that have a, um, a lot of space um, for the dog to be able to consume the food can be really handy as well. Dogs looked at strangers. He marks and rewards slowly, slowly moving closer to the stranger. Now my questions are, is this the ideal way? Counter conditioning is always the best way. Um, systematic desensitization, making baby steps closer and closer towards these strangers is the best way. However, it's a long journey. It's a long process, but there's a lot more to it. Dogs showing extreme disinterest to kibbles, sometimes skipping meals too. For sure, depending on when you, you know, when it comes to existential rewarding, the dog needs to learn how to earn the food in a distraction-free environment rather than going straight to an existential rewarding system, which means all the dog's food comes from your pouch and then doing it straight away outside around the triggers and around um, stimulus that is um, triggering to him or, or that he feels very uncomfortable and by the sounds of it, seems scared of it. So maybe you need to take some time to show the dog that he has to work for the food before he gets out into the real world. Um, should I be consistent? Should I change something? I've done similar case, exact way. Dog was dog was in my hand in second session, ignoring strangers altogether. But with other dog with the other dog now, we need to work indoors where she goes berserk. So it sounds like he's getting some good success, but the owners are starting to struggle. And that's a big thing as well when it comes to um, for us as dog trainers is that our timing's really good, our intensity can be really good. Um, we can read dog's body language very well. So, um, oh, hold on. Okay, so I'll get to the last one in a second. So I would say two things. Number one, if you're a trainer, and it happens a lot of the times when we see a lot of reactivity on the leash, as soon as 
us trainers grab the lead and we have a when we've built a a relationship with the dog from scratch where it's very consistent. The dog understands how to work for us, understands that there's consequences for behavior, and he starts to understand how to be more focused on us, is that because we've started at zero, the dog is going to have a different relationship with us. However, with a novice dog owner who has obviously may have developed this behavior because of their lack of handling skills, lack of socialization, all these different variables, what can happen is the dog doesn't feel that confident in that relationship with their owner. So then the only way that the dog has success with pushing things away or or even getting closer to dogs to bite them or other strangers, for example, the stimulus is the same in this case, is that they need to work a lot harder to build a stronger relationship. So that all comes down to giving a dog a job, being regular with your training, so that way that the dog understands that there's always something that has to be done. The dog has to learn to work for his food, which then means that there's a lot more focus and and um, and intensity back towards us. Exercising the dog appropriately, you know, these working line dogs need a lot of stimulation and exercise. So there's a lot of background things that need to be worked on because a lot of the times when we see aggression, and when you see reactivity, that's usually the symptom of a lack of something. Not all the time. Some things are, um, some behaviors are genetic, and dogs just have this predisposition to show this sort of behavior. So it takes a lot long, longer to be able to get to our desired goals. So again, you can see how complicated it is when it comes to giving answers about aggression and about reactivity when we when I can't be there in the flesh to see what's going on. So. Um, so that's an, also another important point. Now, in terms of like, should you go about making the presence of the stimulus a lot more desirable? Yeah, for sure. Every single time the dog sees a stranger walking past at a good threshold. So when it comes to desensitization and especially systematic desensitization, the small incremental steps closer to our desired goal is that you need to know what's that critical distance. Um, the dog may not react to a stranger at five meters, but at three meters, the dog's going to lunge and bite. So then we work at five meters, we get really comfortable with that. Then we show the dog, well, then over time, we want to make that distance four meters. We want to make it three meters. We want to make sure that the dog understands the focus on us, that good things happen. We make the dog's situation better when strangers are walking by. So that's a point of desensitization overall is for the dog to learn that it's just a person walking past, there's no threat, and then that they've shown no undesirable behavior. You have to be clear about what it is that your dog you, what you want your dog to do. That all comes down to, of course, if you only punish the reaction and the reactive behavior, then you, we may be trying to punish fear and you can't punish fear. It doesn't work. What you need to do is we want to build more confidence with the dog. We want the dog to understand and be clear about what it is that we want them to do. And also that comes down to what tools are you using, what sort of collar are you using so you can use leash pressure to be able to aid with your, um, with your communication with your dog. Food can be really good, but what if the dog doesn't want food? So the dog needs to like the food. The dog needs to understand how to turn off leash pressure by... So, for example, um, I, I'm a big avid um, fan of using the name game. You can check out Nutris Pooch's YouTube channel. Type in um, Nutris Pooch's name game on YouTube and you'll find a few different um, videos there talking about we use leash pressure and we use the dog's name to be able to focus back onto us. Normally, when you put pressure on the leash, a lot of the dogs will go into opposition reflex and fight the leash and go opposite, um, go opposite to where you're pulling. Where we want the dog, for safety reasons, when we put pressure towards us, the dog comes closer to us. But for number two, we want that to be tactile information. When I put pressure on that leash, I want that dog to understand that he can turn it off by coming closer to us. That way there, we can use leash pressure as a, way, as a means of reinforcing the dog's behavior. 
user for safety. And then also, if we can get the dog under threshold, the dog will then start learning that the presence of the stimulus will provide food for him. And that's how we then start to make the situation feel a little bit better for him. In the background, what's happening is good nutrition, making sure the dog's not stressed out at home, that there's a good environment where the dog is living so he understands that he's in that he's under our effective control. If you can't control your dog inside the house, how the hell are you going to control him outside of the house? Which is leads to the next part of the same question is the dog sleeping on his bed and you go and wake him up and he learns to bite you to leave to to get you to leave you alone. That already is a big red flag. If the dog has that sort of relationship with you, how the hell can he trust you when he's outside of the house? You're outside the house. He wants to bite you to leave him alone when he wants to see, stay sleeping on the bed. Then, of course, he's, he's not going to trust you and also look at you for guidance. So then he's going to do that same sort of behavior to keep him safe when he's outside of the house. So it's really important here that we have clarity about what it is that you want him to do. So, for example, what I would say is, and it's happened before. So let's give a quick little example um, of a real life session that I've seen. So I had these clients that lived, you know, two hours away from me and they traveled out to see me and their dog, a massive cross staffy, had bitten the child. She was about 13 years old. Was it four or five times bit her on the face while the dog was sleeping on their bed, on the dog's bed, but she would come up and try to kiss the dog on the face every time the dog was sleeping. That was the behavior that happened every single time the dog bit her on the face. So obviously the dog didn't like the fact that she would come up and onto his most comfortable place. He's sleeping. Who the hell wants to be um, disturbed when they're sleeping? And then he learned, and he's probably, that dog had probably learned, had probably shown that it was uncomfortable so many times before we started to see the aggression. But we own, but a lot of people only notice the the bite on the face. They see the teeth bearing. They see the, the, the actual physical contact. And that's when we think that there's a problem. But the problem had been already occurring before. The dog may have been looking like it's stressed. The dog may have been, um, obviously had learned to, to do the behavior and to get success in, in the past. But also, what was the relationship like outside of that context? So... Our rules were plain and simple. We don't kiss the dog on the face, number one. Number two is that, um, and think about what the dog feels from that. When we kind of crawl over the top of them and then make them feel trapped and then obviously the dog's feeling scared and feeling like it doesn't, because it doesn't happen any other time except for there. So what we needed to do was um, build a good relationship. The dog needs to have a good set of obedience skills. The dog needs to learn how to work for its food, needs to be regularly active and, and, um, and physical. So in terms of, giving it good outlets so we can biologically fulfill the animal. And that through that, so three things come from obedience training, teaching practical skills. We want to stimulate our dogs mentally. We want to build a good relationship. And a lot of the times when we do these things really well, we start to see a lot of undesirable behaviors go away. That's not always the the remedy to all of aggression for sure, but it's certainly a big key part of it. So um, through our four sessions that we did together. Um, now the dog, and the dog was aggressive to other dogs, had been a dog in the past, and now they live in the home happily. The dog hasn't bitten anybody before. When the dog's sleeping on their bed, we just leave him alone, and we want to call the dog out of the bed. So with a good recall and with a good form of engagement, the dog can then, if we want the dog to get off the bed, we call him, and that could be the same sort of answer there. Again, I'm not going to talk specifically about that dog that um that we're talking about here in the question because... I haven't seen the dog, but if I can relate it back to the ex- the example and the experience that I've had um, one-on-one is that now that dog 
that had bitten the, the child on the face several times has now now lives with another dog, lives with a puppy, and she was really unstable around other dogs. Um, and now living with another dog can walk down the street, no reaction, because communication, relationship has been built up. And we did use the counter-conditioning technique. So every time the dog would look in the distance, we'd get that dog's focus back onto us. Once we started to show the dog that it had more control over the situation and that it could better its situation by focusing back on us. And we started to see that then the behavior of reactivity wasn't reflexive. It wasn't just a sheer reaction to keep itself safe, but then it became a little bit more of a thought process. The dog started to think about reacting. Then what happened was we can then correct the dog for breaking the rules of the walk. The rules of the walk are, you know, loose lead next to me. I want you to focus on me and do the commands that I've asked you to do. If you choose not to do it, that's when we can follow through with some leash pressure and a leash correction to tell the dog that it's incorrect and it has to fall back into line. And once we give this dog a job, because loose lead walking and obedience training is a job for our domestic dogs, that's when we all everything starts to come together again. And we did have some really good success with that. And um, and, and I was really happy to see, you know, we still stay in contact and, and we hear some good things. So hopefully that answers that. In terms of the disinfected spray, try to desensitize the dog and what are you, spraying the dog? Like it... Kind of doesn't make sense there. That's where crate training can be really handy as well. When the dog's inside of his crate, the dog can be um, secure inside of his crate where that way there we don't just open the door and the dog's going to come flying at us. And I think that can create a good set of structure within the house. Your, your house isn't a place for your dog to just run free and do whatever it wants. Listen to Master Your Castle episode. We talk all about, you know, control your dog inside of your, your palace. Don't let him just do whatever he wants. So once we can start having some good management and get the dog into a, a good routine and good structure, that's when everything starts to come together again. On top of all of this, and I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't use this, um, I don't give this advice. I give this advice always at the beginning of these problematic um, dogs that I see in my sessions. However, I'm not opposed to saying to clients, hey, you aren't fulfilling this dog's needs. You have no time for the dog. Um, your situation has changed. If you cannot cater for the dog's needs and you've been trying your training, but it's just not working out for you, then we need to find a suitable place for this dog to live where it can get everything it um, that it needs. And I'm all down for that. And that's really, really important because if the your, the danger to you or to your family members or to the public is at jeopardy because of the lack of responsibility or the lack of being able to fulfill the dog's needs, well, then that's a duty of care that um, that needs to be addressed. So if you can't be taking care of the dog anymore because your situation changed or changed, or you have the wrong dog for the wrong home, then you need to either start switching it up and rise to the occasion, or you need to do the right thing by the dog. Um, there's an episode that's coming out. We did an episode with the canine paradigm, um, and it was a really good one. I had a really good time with the boys. All four of us had a good discussion. And there was one example that, because we were talking about aggression in that as well. And, um, and there was, and I did decide to bring up the case of because Pat asked me what was one of the success stories of like what was the one that was most outstanding, you know, dealing with aggression and had and I gave the answer, but also I gave where it didn't work out. And it's only been twice 
maybe three times in this in these last ten years that I've given this advice, but I chose to give an example of when um, when I, I did think that the dog wasn't suitable for the home, and I didn't find that the dog was going to get rehomed properly um, because of of his intense aggression and um, and the type of aggression that that I saw, and um, and and I did give the advice of euthanasia for that dog. So it's very, very rare because a lot of the times it can be fixed and managed, but there are times where that happens. And, and, I'm, and I'm putting that out there for the world is that um, with a heavy heart, I hate, I hate having that conversation. But if I feel that it's the right advice, then unfortunately it's the right advice um, f- for that particular case. So I'm not saying this is for, for these dogs here, but, um, but I wanted to talk about that because I was, I was thinking about how should I have Mentioned that in the in the conversation has been playing in my mind, but I thought the real reason why I did it is because that is the extreme. If we don't catch these behaviors early, and if we don't do the right thing right from the beginning, right from puppyhood, raising our puppies properly, socializing them appropriately, you know, and and building a good, solid, strong um, foundation and relationship. If you're not going to do those things, we start to see these behaviors get worse over time so do the right thing right from the beginning if you can the beginning of your relationship even if it's a a rescue dog um, do things right at the beginning because discipline equals freedom freedom doesn't equal freedom give too much freedom to our dogs and we start to see a lot of um, behavioral issues starting to arise aggression is the worst out of all of them so it's really important and i hope to make that clear and um he has another one here it's hard to say whether the um i'll quickly read it out like in abbreviated 10-month-old male, um, has some issues with resource guarding, territorial to um, the office owners, the owner's office, where we have resolved everything, he's doing good, but he wants to kill two of the employees on the property. And he's fine with other strangers, but with these two, he just doesn't like them. And not like these guys allegedly did anything bad to him or any negative experience, rather. He just charges, facing situations, being hurled or tired, these... When those two guys come by, I feel it's causing him to hate him even more as associating with the marker for being tired or locked in a room. How should I go about this? The men are willing to help but aren't much interested, but the dog will ignore every everything when they are around. So in this case, it sounds like a, um, a big, again, very hard. Can't see the situation. Don't know what to say. Oh, we've got something happening here where my... Apologies for that. One of my bit of equipment stopped working, but that's all good. We're back online. So we, um, I'd say in this case, we just need to really work on some good management with this dog. Management first, then rehabilitation comes after. So I would say I, I'm not going to give much advice about this one. I'm not sure what to say about it, you know, where he's good with everyone except for these two guys really hard well then first of all does a dog have to be on the property maybe when those two guys come around we kennel him we crate him and then we work on the same sort of desensitization counter conditioning slowly slowly making good progress um, until then and i guess brother if you listen to this you can contact me specifically about it and we can talk in more detail about it but again that's so so specific and unique that's a little bit tough for me to explain he has one more that he sent in to me yesterday and i thought i would just quickly um, get it out there. He says, let me find it. It's a golden retriever, nine months old, eight serious bites. My goodness. Doesn't growl at food, but rather guard random stuff like hair, band, socks, plastic wrappers. And he goes, what I did now is 
change the free feeding to hand feeding and make sure that a complete experience, then charge the marker, then teach a leave it. And then counter conditioning of hands coming close and guarding the object. I'm like, look, what I said to him in the text or in the Instagram message was sounds like a good plan. Crate him and control all experiences the dog has. No more freedom in the house and on lead while the dog is out of the crate until he can learn to earn his freedom. And what that means is, is that if he's guarding a whole bunch of random things, then what I would be saying there is I would make sure that the dog doesn't get any freedom in the house to just run around and guard everything that he wants to guard. What I would rather want him to do is make sure that all of the things that happen to um, that happen outside of the crate are a positive experience. So, if you, and first of all, don't leave all these things laying around. If the dog's going to come out of the crate, have him on the leash and show him that being inside of the actual house. Now, again, I don't know if this is an apartment. Does he have a backyard or is there a kennel where we can put him in and then we can teach him how to earn it? Again, this is what happens when we give our dogs too much freedom in the house is that they want to, especially golden retrievers, I've seen this before, where they want to swallow, um, you know, underwear and, you know, socks and things and it gets stuck inside of them because they're so food driven that they'll just eat anything. They're crazy um, in that manner. So what we want to do is show them that every time and teaching a leave it command is really important. And showing him that, yeah, us coming closer is a positive thing where at the moment, every time he's grabbed something, I'm just assuming that we've made a big deal about it, try to run and put the dog in a headlock to get it off. The dog sees it as a challenge and then we have big problems from there. So teaching your puppies from young that every time you grab something that you don't want him to grab, we don't want to swap it. We don't want to be reinforcing the behavior. We want to teach a leave it command. And we can, you, again, you can check out on my YouTube channel, Nooch's Pooches, about how, we, how I teach the leave it command. There's so many resources out there. You can suss that out. Rather than being reactive with our dogs, let's teach our dogs what these things mean before any problems arise. Specifically in that case, control your dog's situation. Don't let him run free in the house and make him work a little bit more for his food. Again, a lot of our clients, they call us when things are at its worst and they want us to stop behaviors, but our job is to make behaviors happen. So when it comes to resource guiding, again, it's a whole that should be a whole conversation about what to do about that. But good management in this Q&A and make sure that you're not giving him any freedom in the house. And um, and then give that dog a productive game. You know, the, I'm assuming the dog, um, you know, golden retrievers generally have a, have a nice um, retrieve. So teach him that, hey, you can, you can have possession over certain things, but it becomes through a game. So, for example, um, we teach, teach training through a ball. So we'll work our obedience training and the reward can be the ball, can be the tug. And that way there, there's an outlet for the dog to have. Regular exercise, regular training, build your relationship and teach him not to do all the undesirable things we don't want him to do. And um, again, my advice has been general in nature. I hope it's been satisfying to you, bro. Um, thanks for listening and um, and thanks for giving me your feedback. You know, we, we chat quite a bit um, online about, um, about so many different things. So it's really cool to be able to have our listens all around the world. As I said, he's from India. So it's really cool that um, people all around the world are, are getting on board with training and seeking out advice. And, um, and then again, if there's anything more specific about aggression, again, as I said, worked with lots and lots of aggression over the years and, um, and everything's so unique to, to um, the individual. But there are common denominators there. So hope you've enjoyed the, the episode today. As always, Find us on any platform that you're listening to us, rate us, share it with a friend um, and, you know, put this, put like, you know, a screenshot of you listening to us up on Instagram and we can share that on our stories. You know, all of this support helps more people listen to the episodes um, and our podcast, which means that more people can benefit from the advice if you're digging it as well. 
And um, yeah, like and subscribe and, and share this with your friends. It, it, it's really beneficial for us because we want to keep on doing this for you guys. And um, until next time, keep training your dogs, have fun with it, and much love. Thank you. Bye-bye. One thing I would like to add at the back end of what I was just saying there, and it just came to mind just as I finished up and I was meant to mention it, was that make sure that you're fully equipped to take on cases of aggression and because it can be a dangerous and very problematic behavior to be working with. And if you're not experienced enough to be giving this sort of advice and to be helping dogs with this sort of problem, then make sure that you either recommend somebody that you can trust and and you can actually recommend and shadow them and be there with them so you can learn. Um, make sure that you there are places where you can recommend out and you don't have to take on these cases for your own safety, for the safety of the owners and for the safety of dogs in the community. So I just want to put that out there um, at the back end of, of this episode because I think it's a really important thing that you have enough experience and you have enough knowledge to be able to give the right advice to people that are searching for these sort of answers. So I'm sorry that I didn't say this right at the beginning of, of the Q&A. I really was meaning to do that. So, um, And I think it's one of the most important things. So so please consider that. And um, Savesh, if you're listening, um, take that on. And look, the thing about getting experience is that you got to get out there and get some experience, but just be cautious that you're giving the right advice to people. Otherwise, um, you're doing the disservice to the, to the community, to the industry, and to yourself, and of course, to your owners, to your clients, and to their dog. So um, again, I'm not too sure about your experience levels and how long you've been in the game for, but it's important as well that if you've had some good success and you're just getting some extra pointers, that's great. And it's always good to be, I'm always out there for myself personally, getting as much advice as I can and always improving my game. Every single year I'm improving and getting better at it. And if I heard what advice I gave maybe five, six, 10 years ago would not be the same as what I'd be giving now. So there is a, a time of evolution and growth. But just make sure that any other trainers out there that don't feel equipped and don't feel confident and don't have the actual um, experience to be able to giving this sort of advice and make sure that you're recommending them out to people that have a lot more skill and, um, and experience. So that's all I want to say. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to another show of Life With Your Dog. Please like, rate and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips, and techniques, visit nooches.pooches.com.au. Thank you, and stay tuned for next time.